Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Oh boy, fun show today. <laughs> Good stuff. So my guest on this episode is Andrew Lee Creech, who was recently in a play called Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, which is a sort of a post-apocalyptic look at the future in which people congregate around the Simpsons as one of the last things that they remember from the old society. It's an incredible play. I'm so excited to have this chance to talk to Andrew about it. But this episode is going to be mostly a teaser. We're not going to get into the talk about uh, Mr. Burns until next week because when we sat down to chat, it got real weird real quick and <laughs> super off topic for about half an hour. Uh, and then after that, we talked about the play for a solid hour and a half, and I just couldn't fit it all in one episode. So I'm going to give you the teaser this week so you can get to know Andrew a little bit, and then next week we'll have our in-depth discussion of Mr. Burns' a post-electric play. So something to look forward to for next week. But this one is awesome. We talked a lot about comedies from the 90s and a lot of things that we both were super excited to chat about. So it's going to be fun. Recently, we just had the two-year anniversary of the Tiny Baby Talk Show, which I've mentioned on the show a couple times, and uh, you probably have no idea what the Tiny Baby Talk Show is if you don't live in Seattle, but that's okay. The two-year anniversary was a sort of variety show just to celebrate the show and the fact that it's ending, and I was lucky enough to play a couple of songs for the crowd. It was broadcast live on Periscope, and I decided to rip my performance off a of Periscope so I could share it with you. So I'll have that at the end of the podcast today. And before we get started, I have a couple of exciting sci-fi things that I just wanted to, to mention. Uh, I just finished my season three rewatch of Star Trek The Next Generation. Good God, it was fucking awesome. Uh, Best of Both Worlds remastered on HD was astonishingly good. And I'd seen it before when they had the special events in theaters where you could come out and see Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 on the big screen. But they cut it together, which I was really excited about at the time, but I think was kind of a mistake because one of my all-time favorite cliffhangers from any television show is when they pan slow around Commander Riker and he says, Mr. Worf, fire, and it cuts to black. So awesome. But when they cut it together, they didn't do that. They didn't have the cut to black, so you don't have that, you know, that intense, dramatic ending. So it was really great to see it as it was originally aired, remastered in HD. Best of Both Worlds Part 1 is an incredible episode of television. As I've been mentioning for a while, as soon as I finished rewatching Season 3 of Next Generation, we're going to do a discussion of all of Season 3 on the podcast, bringing back my good friend Audrey, who already went through Seasons 1 and 2 with me. But because Season 3 is really a turning point for the show and something that I really want to dig into really in depth. We're going to do a panel discussion. I'm going to bring back some of your favorite guests that I've had on the podcasts, including, of course, Audrey Tapia, also known as Audrey the Great, also known as Bonnie Quest. And I'm bringing back Naomi Adele-Smith and Ian Adams. And I'm going to bring to the podcast for the first time, Tiffin Perry, who I have been dating recently who has a dog named Miles and who loves Star Trek. And speaking of that, she has finally convinced me that Doctor Who is awesome. <laughs> so great news. I finally finished season one of Doctor Who and it kind of blew me away. Uh, the last few episodes, you know, once Captain Jack is involved, it just got so great. And I, I liked Christopher Eccleston, but I wasn't, I wasn't in love with him. 
I wasn't really in love with with anything that was going on. I thought it was really intriguing, but it wasn't really catching me. But something about the combination of Rose and Jack and the Doctor, the three of them together really did it for me. So I finished season one, jumped right into season two, and oh my God, it's just awesome right away. I just love it. So uh, Tiffin and I have been watching a ton of that. I'm sure I'll have to have a Doctor Who episode coming up. Maybe I'll wait till I finish season two and then we'll, we'll get into that hot and heavy. Uh, but... Coming up soon, we'll have season three of Next Generation panel discussion with Audrey, Ian, Naomi, and Tiffin, and myself. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. And speaking of the Tiny Baby Talk Show, it was co-created by Daniel DeRozier and Daniel O'Connell. You can hear Daniel O'Connell on Sci-Fi on Trial. He co-hosted the Phantom Menace debate. But I haven't been able to sit down with Daniel DeRozier yet, who's one of my best friends. He was one of my bandmates in Mugatu. He's a big sci-fi nut, and he's kind of the mastermind behind Tiny Baby Talk Show, which is a show that I was a part of for two years. So he's going to be coming over this week. We're going to sit down. We're going to podcast. We're going to give you the whole history of Tiny Baby Talk Show so it'll make sense when I talk about it on the podcast, and we're going to talk about our favorite science fiction and and what gets us excited. We were going to talk about Blade Runner, but he's leaving town, so before he goes, we want to get this Tiny Baby Talk Show stuff down and recorded. I'm going to do Blade Runner eventually, but I really want to do it justice and I want to have the time to sit down and watch it a couple times. And before Dan leaves town, we didn't have time for that. So it's coming. Blade Runner's coming. And I might need to get more people involved because I don't know. I don't really know what to do with Blade Runner. It's one of my absolute favorite movies. Maybe we should do a panel. Let me know if you if you guys have ideas of what you want to hear for a, a podcast about Blade Runner. Let me know. Our original idea was to reread Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and then rewatch the movie and then talk about the the differences between the two. But I don't know. That sounds it sounds maybe a little dry. I kind of want to just focus on how much I love the movie and not necessarily compare it to the book and maybe talk about the book at some other time. I'm also – I have so much to read right now. I'm kind of – Uh, I'm reading Stitch right now by A.D. Bloom, which was sent to me by Evan, one of my listeners, who's an awesome, awesome person. I want to read something by Carrie Bailey, who I've been chatting with on Twitter. So I don't know. Waiting for me to read stuff is not the best idea. I get through TV a lot quicker. (laughs) Yeah, so that's some fun stuff that's coming up on the show in the near future. So for now, let's jump into this conversation with Andrew Lee Creech, who is an actor, a hip-hop artist. He's a writer. All around incredible guy. For now, let's just get to know him. Let's get to know his personality. I loved, loved chatting with with Andrew, and I'm absolutely going to have him back on the show for some more fun stuff in the future. But here we go. Okay, so I've been told that civilized people peel the bananas from the bottom, but I think it's bullshit. No, I hey, I, well, it works better, but it's still bullshit. I don't know why. <laughs> See, from my understanding, that's 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 the way monkeys peel uh-huh. bananas, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. See, I like to take the banana. I, I do that that method too, but then I also take a banana banana here, and I kind of just what? Uh oh. Okay. Well, this is a fresh banana. <laughs> <laughs> They tend to be a little. Keep trying, please. <laughs> oh, there, there hey. it is. Hey-oh. For for people who aren't here, 
<laughs> Andrew was like flicking his banana until it popped open, and it was awesome. By the stem. It's a little bruised now. Yeah. It's, it's, there's some trauma, but it's fine. It's great. <laughs> Bananas reach their maximum flavor potential when you give them a little bit of trauma. <laughs> Just like humans. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> Just like humans. <laughs> um. I wasn't I wasn't going to include us eating a banana in the podcast, but now I am because this is great. No, I'm with it. This is really good stuff. Oh yeah, we both just realized we're a little hungry, <laughs> so mm. we're gonna go. These are organic, by the way. Oh yeah, I'm just that kind of guy. Do you? How do you feel about banana ripeness? Do you <laughs> see? That's it's tough. Mm. <laughs> okay, because I feel like. I, I want a little bit of sweetness to my banana, uh-huh. but I also like the firm. I don't. I don't want to because when you push on them and and they dent, and they get brown, it's terrible, and nobody right. likes that. And 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 it's some it's, people do like that, and those people are wrong. How do you? <laughs> <laughs> to the point where it's mushy. I don't know. Oh, it's gross. I, I like a crisp, but but then you can't do it too early either because that's the worst. Right. It, it takes it tastes like uh it's got like this chalky kind of yeah oh no terrible this this banana I don't know about your banana my banana is a day early my banana's on the line of of chalky but I kind of I would prefer a banana that's too young than a banana that's too old <laughs> like, like veal banana <laughs> banana veal exactly. well see that's why it, the snap didn't work is it because it's, it's just a little too young it's too young <laughs> what's your favorite fruit. My favorite fruit. <laughs> I'm just holding this like a sword. Um, I, you know, I think it's got to be the nectarine. Nice choice. The perfect nectarine. That, which is again another one that it's, if it's too young, it's like it's got a really nice crisp, but yeah. the, but the flavor is not quite right. A nectarine, I'd rather have a day old than a day young. Yeah, I'd yeah. say so. And yeah. I think, I think. I think a nectarine is also my favorite fruit. Really? I think that we have very similar uh, fruit experience, fruit mm. fruit life experience. That deserves the Z snap in the Zoral formation. The mm, mm, mm. <laughs> right? Mm, mm, mm. I didn't know what you meant until I saw it. And I'm not explaining it because if you don't get it, then fuck you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's funny because like the there's a world of difference, difference between a peach and a banana. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, yes. Yes, <laughs> there is. Let me back up. There's a world of difference between a peach and a nectarine. Like, like that's what I meant to say. There's a subtle difference uh, <laughs> between peach and banana. Subtle. <laughs> yeah. They're both phallic, but in different ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like a peach gets like uh, mealy and gross, and I've never been a peach that's guy. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But nectarines are just fucking perfect. If I was on a, a deserted island and the only fruit that grew was nectarines, I would be marginally less upset with my plight. <laughs> if only for Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. See, maybe it would have been a little less racist, too. Had the... I watched an episode of Gilligan's Island recently. I have all three seasons. and There's only three? There's only three, but there are like a thousand episodes per season. <laughs> It's amazing. So um, there's 3,000 episodes of yeah. Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yeah, you, di- you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> and only 2,000 of them are racist. Mm. No, I don't know. Uh, but That's this a low one in estimate. Particular, yeah, 
Yeah, this this episode in particular, I was my mouth, my jaw dropped the entire episode, and wow. I was like, wow, the sensibilities of America have shifted. Yeah, yeah, it, that, it, very dramatically. I mean, even just watching, uh, I just finished my rewatch of season three of Next Generation because mm-hmm. we're doing a big panel discussion on it coming up soon on the podcast. Nice. And there was this one. It's like the best show ever. But in I just started season four, and. Worf is talking about his parents to Chief O'Brien and talking about his mom in particular. And Chief O'Brien's like, well, you know women. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Wait, what does that mean? Explain that. Yeah. I mean, like the, the idea that like a 24th century mentality would still be saying bullshit. Sure, sure. It's really offense, wow. offensive, really offended huh. me. Which is strange because that show is almost, that show is usually pretty on the money as far as, you know, like feminist concerns. Right. But that one was <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. That's and you know when you see things like that too, you hope at least I try to go into it with the understand with the idea that it's like okay maybe it's just that character who has those sensibilities and it's just yeah. a side of them that we're supposed to be seeing and not a reflection on the writing or you, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. But sometimes it's hard, especially you know you see um, you see that sort. I and I think it's kind of lazy writing when you start to see. Um, certain turns of phrase or certain things pop up with several characters and it's like how come each character doesn't have their own unique voice you start to kind of hear these same things and yeah i don't know i know exactly what you mean yeah that that's interesting because then it's not necessarily that the writer is racist it's that the writer is trying to make a point exact exactly yeah and that's why oh have you have you seen the trailer for uh zoolander 2 yes you know Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, <laughs> yes, his weird. cameo. Yeah, people people are boycott are starting to boycott the movie now. Why? Because they think it's an unfair uh, representation of of like gender queer and and trans people and and they're not happy with that. They and he was uh, I don't understand. He was there was like three seconds of footage. How do we know what his character is yet? It, it, one exactly. We don't <laughs> we don't know enough to make some kind of judgment like yeah. that. Yeah. And two, um, in that clip, it's, you know, it's Derek and Hansel going, what are you? Oh. Right? And he's like, all is all. <laughs> and they're like, so do you have a hot dog or a bun? <laughs> right? And it's like, and people are offended at this. And I'm going, well, listen, one, we don't know enough about it. But two, um, Derek and Hansel, yes, we we root for them because they are the heroes of our movie, but no person ever has been like, I wish I could be Derek Zoolander or Hansel. They're idiots. They are remarkably stupid. Yes. If anything, the writing is making a commentary on how stupid people can be when it comes to these these, topics. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But um, it's interesting to see the kind of knee-jerk reactions that Mm. people are already having. Are you excited about Zoolander 2? Oh, I'm just ecstatic. Me too. I'm Gosh. so excited. Yeah. I, I fucking love the first one. It was one of those movies where the first time I saw it, I didn't quite get it. Kind of like Super Troopers. Sure, sure, And you sure. watch it a couple times and realize that it's brilliant. And then you watch it a few more times and then you're quoting it constantly. And then you watch it a few more times and it's become an intrinsic part of your existence. Yes. <laughs> just Even the stupidest phrase. I can't tell you how many times a year I go... <coughs> I got the black lung. <laughs> I yeah, I'm, mine is uh, the files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was a kid, it was always uh, merman pop, merman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I used to quote Ace Ventura 
constantly. Oh yeah, I, and that movie does not like, like socially doesn't hold up. Uh, I I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I really love that movie. But when you get to the part at the end when uh, Ace realizes that he's kissed a man, he's like Finkel's a man. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah. Finkel and Einhorn. Einhorn Finkel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Einhorn is a man. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) And there was like a five minute montage of him trying to wash his mouth out. That was really offensive to me. I was like, come on. You like, you made out with a dude who hasn't. Right. Right. Calm the fuck down. Settle down. Settle down. I mean, okay. And I want to talk about Ace Ventura for just a second. (laughs) Because this is another comedy that's, you know, it gets a sequel. And there's, I, I, at least in my mind, there's a lot of debate, you know, whether or not the sequel holds up or. You know, a lot of people favor the first one. Fuck that movie. You hate the sequel. I hate the sequel. How do you feel? Talk to me. (laughs) I love the sequel. Really? I love when nature calls. So we are very similar on fruit, but very different on Ace Ventura movies. Hey, (laughs) peaches and bananas, man. Peaches and bananas. (laughs) Excuse me. So Um, you love that movie. Yes. And this is why. It's silly and ridiculous. For and okay, it's silly and ridiculous. And I love the first one, but there was a point in the first movie where I think it's, it's Courtney Cox is in that movie, right? Yeah. Isn't that the, the his love interest sort of? Yeah. And it, it was just really strange because Ace Ventura is built to be this really goofy sort of cartoonish character. Yeah. And then he had these weird moments where they tried to humanize him and make him a real person and when he tried to connect with Courtney Cox. And I hated that. Really? I hated that because it just felt so inconsistent with his character. And I guess and I, it might just be a personal aesthetic thing. But, Interesting. Um, the second film, they completely removed all of that, and he was just ridiculous the entire time. And I, it makes my heart smile. So I, I had the opposite experience. I, I appreciate that, and I'm jealous because I want to enjoy the second movie. But I fucking hate it. Um, <laughs> so the reason I love the first one so much is that you have an utterly ridiculous character in a real world. And the reason he's so fucking weird is because everyone else is normal. Um, those moments when he tries to connect with Courtney Cox, he always ruins it at the end by like barking like a dog or doing something <laughs> like utterly ridiculous. And to me, that spoke of a character who... Like, he doesn't do humans. Like, he's so uncomfortable with humanity. He's only comfortable with animals. And I'm reading so much into fucking Ace Ventura right now. No, he's only, very, he's only, those are very good points. He's only comfortable with animals, so he can't have a real moment. And when he tries, he breaks it. And I think that's fucking brilliant. And it makes all the humor work for me on a heightened level because I believe in the world. And in the second one, it's, a, <laughs> it's, just, a, it's just a goofy it's a goofy comedy. And I... I enjoy it from the point of view of it being a goofy comedy, but the first one was a heightened comedian ex- experience to me. Sure. And I missed that in the second one. Sure. But Ace Ventura coming out of a rhinoceros asshole right? is the funniest part of both movies. It's uh, <laughs> just the way he's like biting at the <laughs> steam coming up. Oh, gosh. That, the, the fact that they set that whole thing up just so he could come out of the butt. Was yeah. so funny. Oh, just, I, I love a good long setup for just something utterly ridiculous. It makes me really happy. So good. And, and you know, it, I love it because it's up until Dumb and Dumber 2, yeah. it was the only film Jim Carrey's ever done a sequel to in his entire career. Oh, really? Yeah. 
He didn't because they did that Son of the Mask with Alan Cumming. You're right, but, without him. Yeah, but and he's then never dumb, done a sequel until it, that movie. Dumb and Dumberer without him before yeah, exactly. Dumb and Dumber Two. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, Dumb and Dumberer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a prequel. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't watch. When that. Harry met Lloyd, I didn't yeah, watch that's that right. either. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. he'd never done a sequel. Uh, Evan Almighty. They, you know, you're right. Continued Bruce Almighty without him. Um, and that was a good movie. Evan Almighty was a good movie. I didn't see Evan Almighty. Was it? Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. He was like Noah's Ark, and yeah. I just remember seeing him with a giant beard, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm all right." Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't terrible, and that was wildly impressive. <laughs> uh, well, how do you feel about Austin Powers movies? Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> Austin Powers, I love the I love the first Austin Powers. Um, I think it's, it's it was really unique at the time. I think that's why a lot, a lot of it blew up. A lot of people were like, "Wow!" And uh, the second one kind of took the same route as Ace Ventura too, where it was just mm-hmm. completely over the top. Because he did have the human moments in the first one as well. Yeah. Um, and then the hmm, the third one was just the cash grab. Yeah. You know, where everyone, all the cameos in that one, too. I mean, Tom Cruise was in, Tom, who else? John Travolta, Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah, Danny DeVito. (laughs) (laughs) Zachary Evil. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So that one just really felt, uh, the writing didn't feel very solid at all. And Beyonce was there, which is cool. I I totally agree. The first one was at a similar par for me with Ace Ventura. Uh, Mm -hmm. And for a similar reason is because you had very grounded things happening in a ridiculous scenario. Mm-hmm. Like Austin Powers was ridiculous and Dr. Evil was ridiculous. I mean, Cause like the people in the middle of the movie were very real. And then oh, there yeah. was, there's this total spectrum of ridiculousness between Austin Powers and whatever the girl's name was, who was kind of normal. The hit the Elizabeth. Hurley. Yeah. Yeah. Was Elizabeth it Elizabeth Hurley. Hurley in that first? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Which reminds me of Bedazzled, which was great. Yes, so good. Brendan Fraser, man. He was my hero for years. Me too. <laughs> I love hey, Brendan Fraser was the man. Yeah. George of the Jungle. What? Uh, the Mummy. The Dude, Mummy. The one. Fucking Mummy. The mummy two. Uh, mummy. Not the Mummy three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody needed money there. Right. Um, I, the the first Mummy is one of my absolute favorite movies. I when I was down in San Diego for Thanksgiving. Yeah. It was on TV and I watched like half of it. I was like, fuck yeah, this movie fucking rocks. Everything about that movie, the, yeah. the Scarab Beatles, uh, the the Race to Hamanoptera. Uh, the uh, Race to Hamanoptera. Yeah, so good. That's a great album name. The Race to Hamanoptera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, that was one of the early CG movies. Mm-hmm. That was back in the day when CG was really exciting, and they mm-hmm. used it brilliantly in that movie. Yeah. I... I honestly think that that's one of the best uses of CG that I can think of because they did the subtractive makeup on Arnold Vosloo mm-hmm. to like when he became more and more human, you right, could see right. further into his face. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And they had like the real, the real version of the mummy when it was like super mummified. And that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. And then when they have the CG versions, you've already seen one that's like very tactile looking and yeah. slimy and gross. So when it starts to move, you buy it more because you've already seen a version that looks super real. Yes. yes and I, yes. I, it was really interesting because The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies was on a different channel. So every time a commercial came on, I'd flip to that. And it was just night and day. I mean, The Hobbit looked terrible. Compared to The Fucking Mummy, it looked terrible. I hated The Battle of the Five <laughs> Armies. I fucking 
Dude. I'm sorry. I don't know. Am I Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> For, well, okay. First of all, I want to go back to Brendan Fraser. Okay. Hold yes. On. Let's okay. do it. Uh, Blast from the Past is also amazing. That was a good movie. Right? Yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken. And, I mean, <laughs> uh, his downfall was, of course, Monkey Bone and Dude. Dudley Do Right. Dude, Monkey Bone is brilliant. A lot of people like it. Monkey Bone is crazy good. Hey. When I first got on Twitter, I said something about how good Monkey Bone was and tagged Chris Kattan, and he liked my tweet, and it was really, like really exciting for me. It's <laughs> <That is> amazing. <laughs> I, f- I felt like that movie was like a diamond in the rough, that, that uh, absolutely absurd, brilliant, like kind of in the vein of Beetlejuice, but taking it to a whole other level of, of ridiculousness, mm-hmm. and I love it. Gosh, I love it. Man. Chris Kattan, man. I love Chris Kattan, too. You gotta love Chris Kattan. He's hard not to love. <sighs> Whatever. What, what is he up to nowadays? Uh, I think he's he's out there on Twitter liking people's tweets. He's out there. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he listens to this at some point. He's Me like, too. he's absolutely right. <laughs> so uh, you figured it out, have you? But yeah, George in the Jungle was really good too. I loved, I loved George of the Jungle. An Encino Man. I actually haven't seen that one. Oh, it's and that great. was I'm understanding that's one of like his big one of his bigger breaks, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. His earlier films that might have been the big break. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's the one-two punch of of uh, Brendan Fraser and Polly Shore. Oh, really? Oh my God, Polly, Polly Shore. Shore's in that movie. Polly Shore is that movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I'll, all right. Is that Are on you, Netflix? I have to watch. I don't it. know, dude. Biodome. Biodome. We're doing like a free association that's movies not, of the nineties right that's now. Do- I, I'm with it though. <laughs> Let's do it. I, I met Brendan Fraser a couple months ago. Or what? S- like, yeah, like maybe five or six months ago, something oh like that. Oh my God. Tell me every detail. How did he smell? It- <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried not to directly smell it. Just waft like they teach you in chemistry. Just, <laughs> you know. Like they teach you in acting school. <laughs> when you meet Brendan Fraser, just waft lightly so as not to disturb him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He and I went to the same school. He went to Cornish College of the Arts. Wow. Um, so one of our our mutual teachers was um, retiring, and Brennan came to the retirement party. No way. Yeah, it was it was cool. Um, he and 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 C. S. Lee from uh, Dexter. From Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's great. He's oh, yeah. He's, he's really funny. He's he, he's fantastic. He's yeah. Vince, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was great. It was it was weird meeting Brendan Fraser only because, you know, I when I encounter famous people, I always am of the mindset that they're just normal. They're just people like us. Like they don't want to be accosted and you know all this. So, um, but I had to say hi, so I went yeah. up and said hi. But this was weird because I was like, I grew up on your movies and I love them, and then I thought about it and I was like, George of the Jungle. And and blast from the past and some and it was just weird that George of the Jungle was the first one that came up for me and I'm like it's weird to tell someone that that ridiculous movie like shaped my childhood and, <laughs> right it was like I was, I was thinking about it and I was like that movie was one of the things that made me want to go like acting fuck yes I really? want to do this yeah cool. that's awesome oh totally and then, <laughs> and then I was like but that's a ridiculous movie. <laughs> like, it's not like I'm going up and saying that Oscar award-winning movie that you did made me like changed my life. It's right. like, no, George of the jungle <laughs> changed my life, bruh. That's thank you. Probably why we get along though. <laughs> that's awesome. 
Uh, I loved Bedazzled so much. I loved George of the Jungle and Bedazzled more than any of the people that I knew in my life. They were just <laughs> great movies. Well, and especially Bedazzled because he had a chance to really take on some cool, oh. char- like a lot of different characters. The basketball yeah. the basketball player just profusely sweating. Yeah. Oh, go yeah, there, give 110%. Great. And he was brilliant in every moment of that movie. Like he's a yeah. real I, – I, infuriates me that he wasn't taken more seriously as an actor actor i feel the same way about jim carrey because those both like both of those guys have some serious acting chops definitely and can really do characters i mean i i also hate the whole idea of like a character actor being kind of a lesser actor in being some way pigeonholed into yeah 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 which is such bullshit because that i mean in my mind someone who can embody a character that's like real fucking acting. I mean, that's really impressive sure, to me. Sure. And to do that in a comedic way is really difficult. And mm-hmm. seeing someone like Brendan Fraser do that, but also be able to play the swashbuckling hero and, you know, be yeah. able to play the super oh. nerd and be able to play like a, a caveman. I mean, he embodies all of them very, very convincingly. So well. So well. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. And I love that point about Jim Carrey too. Yeah. I and mean, he gets a couple he gets a couple breaks. I th- I mean, for me I first saw it in the Truman show. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really really solid mm-hmm. in that. And then um he did The Majestic, which I thought was also good. I I love uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's, That's one so of my good. all-time favorite movies. Yeah, it's really really um, good. Yeah. He was a great Riddler. <laughs> And everybody hates that movie, and I can't understand why. That movie's incredible. That movie's Dude, amazing. Everyone like Batman forever. I know <laughs> that movie's fucking awesome. And I'm like, God bless Joel Schumacher. Yeah. I believe in in God. We trust. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, just because Batman and Robin is a big stinker doesn't mean that Batman Forever isn't brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. And I think because Batman and Robin was the one with the bat nipples on the suits, right? Where they added all the nipples on it the suits. It definitely had nipples. There might have been nipples in Batman Forever, but I don't I'll forgive remember. it. Yeah, because the rest it. of it's so great. Everything is great about it, and and uh, it, it gave us "Kiss from a Rose," the Seal song, Thank the God. beloved classic. And I list, I became obsessed with Seal. I still listen to that album all the sure. time. It's great. I yeah. mean, it's like a start to finish album that's really good. The first track, "Bring It On," is awesome. Yeah, "Prayer for the Dying" is incredible. Like, there's some really great songs. <laughs> I'm like dancing right. Andrew's now. raising the roof. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. And and his performance, Jim Carrey's performance as the Riddler. And I thought Val Kilmer was a very decent oh, Batman. A very I, good Bruce Wayne, I I'm thought. I'm just going to say it. He's my favorite live-action Batman. That's I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I think that he he's reserved and controlled mm-hmm. as Bruce Wayne in a way that makes Batman seem more realistic to me. Sure. Which I loved. Uh, yeah. I, everybody loves Michael Keaton as Batman. Sure. I'm I have no problem with it, but it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. And I because I knew Michael Keaton from so many other things before I saw Batman. I came to the original Batman late. Like I saw Batman Forever before I saw oh, really? the original Batman. Yeah. And Batman I was, Returns as well. I didn't oh, I wasn't wow. allowed to see Batman Returns because it was too violent. Because you got Danny DeVito like biting people's noses off. It's crazy. Yeah. Craziness. That movie is gross. Like yeah. it's good. I mean it's a good movie. Christopher Walken pushing people out of windows and yeah. yeah. It's a very mm-hmm. dark. I really like it. I mean, I but only as an adult. As a child, it was too much for me. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I just listened to. I, I love Kevin Smith's podcast. I just listened to his uh, episodes of Fat Man on Batman, where they did a commentary track to Batman Forever. Oh my gosh! 
Yeah, and it was really entertaining, but they were complaining a lot about it. And I was like, no, guys, no, it's, no, it's great. Even the set, the the visual aesthetic oh, they created yeah. for Gotham City was amazing. It's brilliant. Uh, like the, the neon biker gangs. Yeah. So cool. So, so good. And I love Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. Oh. Just having the time of his life. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> God, and what I remember reading an interview... With Tommy, it was like with Tommy Lee Jones, or, or uh, I think it was with Jim Carrey talking about his experience working with Tommy Lee Jones on that movie. Oh wow! And apparently, Tommy Lee Jones hated working with Jim Carrey. And what? At, yeah, at one point said something like, "This is something to the effect of, I uh, I will not suffer your buffoonery." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like it's something very close to that. Oh <laughs> and I'm like just the fact that Oh man, Agent K with the smackdown. Those words. Yeah, yeah, that phrasing out of Tommy Lee Jones. It's this <laughs> buffoonery. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's <laughs> awesome. So good. That's so funny. And then when you go back and watch the movie, I like uh, I can only imagine the ridiculousness that would happen. In between takes. Oh my god! It's yeah. just it's just Jim Carrey pretending to fillet Tommy Lee Jones, and he's having none of it. It's just, <laughs> it's like, get away from yeah, me! Exactly. Oh my god! But I so I was at the height of my Jim Carrey obsession mm-hmm. at that point in my life, and I fucking loved that movie. I mean, J- Jim Carrey's like descent into uh, like madness towards the end was really awesome. And yeah, he started to think of himself as a god as he took in all of these like thoughts of other people and mm-hmm. and it was such a Batman-y Batman movie. Like a, a Batman movie in like the Adam West camp style. Sure. And I which I, I haven't I've barely seen any Adam West, but I really liked what I saw. Mm-hmm. Like there was the, the movie where they turn everyone into powder. Um <laughs> and the shark. Do you remember the, the shark bit? Vaguely. I remember like running mm-hmm. with a bomb trying to get to the river, which happens constantly in oh, Batman. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you got a bomb and gotta run to the river. Mm-hmm. I mean it even happened in like uh the the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, the end of Dark Knight Rises, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I didn't care for that much. No, not at all. Yeah. No. That was a bummer. It wasn't terrible, it was just like why it, I didn't understand why any of it was happening or yeah. how any of it happened. Right. I didn't understand how Bane bro- spoiler alert spoiler alert. <laughs> Bane breaks Batman's back. Yeah. Which happens in the comics. Right. But, and then he throws him down in the giant hole prison. And, and then he runs in, he meets that one old guy who's like, I can fix you. <laughs> and he does this by punching him in the spine. Yeah. He's like, Hua! and now your broken back is fixed. Yeah. I, mean, just, I didn't get it. And then he crawls out of the hole, and some, which is in the middle of nowhere, like some desert, yeah. makes it back to Gotham somehow in a matter of hours. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Maybe the hole in the desert was a wormhole. Maybe. Maybe he got out, and then you know how you get out of uh, Fantasia and the NeverEnding Story? You have to dive down the waterfall in NeverEnding Story 2. Maybe if you dive back into the, the pit <laughs> of despair, you end up in Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> In your bat wing. Mm. That's funny. Yeah. I, I think that, well, obviously, The Dark Knight is my favorite Batman movie. I mean, that movie's unbeatable. What's your favorite? It's, it, I, it's, it's very difficult to say because I, I do love Batman forever. Me too. Um, 
Having said that, The Dark Knight is probably the closest to a perfect film I've ever. It's like it's almost a perfect film. I agree. And and yeah. In almost every way, that movie is just expertly crafted. Yeah. I mean, is Batman Forever more fun? Yeah. Yeah. But is it a better movie? Uh, it can't be because it's, <laughs> because it's not perfectly crafted. Yeah, you know, totally. It's great and it's fun and and I love it. Yeah. But but man, The Dark Knight. The first time I saw that, I was just I was that movie. I couldn't believe how good it was yeah. when I was watching it. But I did not like uh, Aaron Eckhart's Two Face. I loved Aaron Eckhart's. Uh, yeah, um, his his lawyer, his Harvey Dent. His Harvey Dent. Yeah, yeah. but uh, his Two Face was too too much like Tommy Lee Jones I thought. Yeah, I the the Two-Face plot line is the only thing that I question about that movie. Yeah. That's the uh, because it just felt too not too rushed. It was shoehorned at but the it, end. It was definitely was. Yeah. yeah. And the, I definitely wanted to see a little bit more there. Yeah, and I did not like the CG to make him look like Two-Face. Mm -hmm. Like, how could the rest of his, how could his face be so fucked up, but his eye is intact? Yeah. <laughs> you know? That really bugged me. And he looked a lot like the Two-Face from the comics. Yeah. So that kind of let me enjoy it. And mm -hmm. the rest of the movie was like perfect. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that is my only gripe is, is Two-Face. And the ending was a little funky with Batman being like, I have to leave. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Where I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, of course, we you know the I, Batman voice being the only other thing I will complain that's the about. Only, and I hated that he did the Batman voice to people who knew he was Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yes, like yes. Lucius Fox. He's like growling at Morgan Freeman, and I yeah. wanted it, you know Morgan to just be like, "Listen, <laughs> I know who you are." <laughs> Wait, can we do the rest of the podcast with you speaking as Morgan Freeman? <laughs> Uh, this is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Narrated such classics as March of the Penguins. <laughs> Not only is he a great guy, but he does a great Morgan Freeman impression. <laughs> so next week, we are going to discuss in depth Mr. Burns, a post-electric play that recently had a run at the Act Theater downtown Seattle, and Andrew was one of the stars. As I was saying before, it's a post-apocalyptic play in which survivors of some sort of never-defined apocalyptic event use The Simpsons as a sort of cultural touchstone. They've lost all electricity, they have no forms of entertainment, so they try to remember episodes of The Simpsons. The play is a sort of speculative fiction about how we interact with media and culture and society, and it's, it's really brilliant. And the conversation was fantastic. I can't wait to, to bring that to you next week. So before I call it a day on this podcast, I'm going to bring you my performance from the Tiny Baby Talk Show two-year anniversary. I played SETI Alpha 5 and then Asteroid Field, and Naomi Adele Smith joined me for Asteroid Field, just like she did on this podcast a few episodes back. So it was great to be able to perform. Uh, I loved being in that show for the last two years, and this was a nice send-off. So thanks to the Dans, uh, DeRozier and O'Connell, for, for having me come and perform. All right, here we go. So anyway, without further ado, please give it for Jesse Mercury! Uh, so you all heard me play a bunch of different weird songs, but you've never heard any of my my own stuff from the heart. You know, I'm a I'm a songwriter. I've been through a lot of really weird and interesting things, and I kind of process 
my life and my emotions by writing songs. So I'm gonna share a couple with you. This song is about a time a couple years ago where this like cocky asshole starship captain stranded me on a planet and uh, <laughs> stuck there for many, many years. And it was very frustrating. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, so this song is called Asteroid Field. <laughs> Enjoyed this episode of Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. 
part of the Sci-Fi Project. For more information about the rest of the Sci-Fi Project, including the podcast Sci-Fi on Trial, my science fiction-themed synth-pop album and music videos, head on over to www.jessemercury.com. Follow me on Twitter at Sci-Fi Project to chat with me about what you heard in the episode and your favorite science fiction and uh, what you think of Doctor Who Season 1. I'm curious. Let me know. So that's going to do it for this episode. I'll see you next week.